Oh, Joy, we're back. <laughs> Welcome back. Welcome back. It's nice to hear your voice. Oh, yes. Holy smokes, it's been a while. Yes. And thank you to our listeners that are joining us and that will be listening to our podcast. Thank you. I figure we'll, I'll probably go through that agenda I made earlier and then uh, yes, I we'll have it open to uh, other speakers and if they want to come up and talk about stuff that's going on. Because, uh, yeah, as usual, this is more just community building and <laughs> information updates than anything else. I'll, I'll have you know, my heart rate's like 120 right now. So. <laughs> <sighs> Practicing my deep breathing. And you want to do you want to do the show on YouTube? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> I can practice my grounding techniques real time. <laughs> it's all good. I am a very socially anxious human. <laughs> Okay, so maybe let's just talk about the state of Twitter right now. It's it's funny to watch this guy who could have spent $44 billion on literally anything else on this planet. And, and he, he buys Twitter. It's like watching someone stepping on like garden rakes that hits him in his face constantly. Like he just banned people permanently for impossible. <laughs> <laughs> for being... For, for making oh. fun of him and pretending to be him like he is an upset little man right now <laughs> oh, it's just so amazing uh like he's so he's he's so upset at his lack of control over this situation because <laughs> uh yeah this has just not gone the way that he wanted it to go uh, mm-hmm. Let alone that, like, Twitter itself is starting, the infrastructure is just falling apart because they, <laughs> you know, removed half of their staff. And some have oh. to be rehired because they were <laughs> accidentally fired. Yeah. I mean, he's showing you the fact that uh, rich people are not necessarily good at things they do, right? Like, you, <laughs> you get to have money and make mistakes and keep having money sometimes, like this man. Uh, it helps when you're born into a certain bracket, as we've seen. Can you imagine being on a Martian colony run by him? He's trying to populate it himself. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I just, the man, it's going to be interesting. I'm not planning to leave Twitter, uh, which I'll mm-hmm. talk about sort of Mastodon in a bit. But um, like, I plan to stay on Twitter. I'm just going to clear out my tweets, uh, mostly because he, he, you know, owns all of, of the data now. So I'm going to just clear up my timeline and then I'm going to take myself off private and yeah, just spend my time trolling him maybe now and uh, keep updating news stuff. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see if Twitter can sort of stay alive through all of this as well, because we see sort of the uh, revenue has dropped dramatically with advertisers, but also with everything that he's doing. Like, I just don't know uh, whether even just the infrastructure will keep hold through through whatever happens in the next bit. The German government has just set up their own Mastodon server. So <laughs> that should tell you how things are going. When I've been waiting for the Canadian government to to start their own Mastodon server. Well, and that's it's it's interesting. So <laughs> Mastodon and I, I feel like everyone's having the experience sort of I am, which is the learning curve feels very steep. <laughs> I sort of got in there was like what the hell is happening uh it's just different than I was used to um but once I sort of understood it uh it became a lot easier and it was easier 
after the fact and I wish someone had explained to me which server I wanted to start with because everyone just sort of talks about how there's different servers yeah so that's why I've just been directing everybody I know to the one I'm in which is an invite only one but um, which is the zeros.ca and that's sort of a, an, a group where many of the people on Twitter with sort of COVID consciousness have been aggregating um, and Trendless, who's somebody who's been in here before and, and talked with us on the podcast before is moderating it. Um, okay. So that's the sort of space I'm moving into. And because it is private, I'm, I'll probably uh, be a lot more open on there now than I'm even going to be on Twitter just because of the data issues I foresee with Musk sort of owning everything. Mm-hmm. But it'll take a bit for everybody to get used to. And uh, I mean, we'll foresee what happens with Mastodon anyway because of the the problems with air infrastructure being able to like withhold all of the people that are um, onloading onto it right now. We'll sort of see if they can update real time, right? Like this is the takeoff of they could potentially... They could actually get on a lot of people right now, but uh, they've got to have the sort of quick uh, wittedness about them and, and ability to upgrade the infrastructure as they go. It, it'll be interesting to see <clears throat> if the virtual town square actually shifts. Yeah, I mean, it. I think a lot of it's going to depend like how bad Twitter gets. I mean, I noticed today that I had a lot of issues just with loading on Twitter and sort of my feeds updating and... Uh, being able to see everything. So that might naturally drive people away in a way that we didn't really see before because uh, it wasn't necessarily that people wanted another option and Twitter wasn't dead, so they weren't going to go anywhere. But if Twitter's sort of not working well, it becomes easier to find an alternative. But let me find my agenda that I had. The first bit was kind of COVID hospitals <laughs> stuff. I have all those gazillion articles that I included Mm -hmm. underneath the um space thing hold on i'm gonna find things and start putting them up in the nest um so one is the change in ambulance services and i just posted that in the nest and that is about the fact that in the uh, Kelowna and okanagan area that they reduced from 10 ambulances down to seven uh, which (laughs) clearly is not great um, and is going to impact a lot there. Not that they had them fully staffed anyway. Another thing to note that I'm just throwing up in the nest, I'm just going to quickly say them as I put them up and then we can talk about the ones as you want more, um, is that confirmation of what we've known for a long time and what we've been saying since we started the sort of podcast was that BC is not including the reinfection data in its counts. <laughs> so, you know, uh, we already knew the underestimates, you know, with that article they put out 92 times, but throw throw some of that in the mix too, right? Um, so next thing I'm throwing up in the nest is the fact that uh, hospitals are sort of getting crushed across uh, Canada right now, particularly in the pediatric wards. So again, sadly, this is something we talked about before. And the fact that we cannot just exchange uh, adult-based staff for pediatric staff. And we're starting to see some shifting like that in hospitals where, um, you know, uh, children 14 and older are being moved to the adult units. And that's just not a great thing uh, for us to be hearing. But that is sort of the state that we are at. Um, And then in uh, more locally in BC, we see that uh, the BC Children's Hospital um, activated that emergency operations uh, statue essentially because they're so overrun right now. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that's because we're seeing so much of uh, flu, uh, RSV, uh, COVID that's not being tested for right. And it's uh, becoming much more of a problem than they expected, which none of us understand why, because everybody was like, hey, this is going to happen. So then that brings us to, uh, actually, I won't go to immunity debt yet. Let's stop there and just talk hospitals and, and what I said. So now based on all of that, <laughs> that's just my first topic point, uh, is all that stuff thrown in there about hospitals and children's status. And, oh, yeah, and there's no, like, pain meds and fever meds and antibiotics are running short and all the other stuff, too, that goes along with uh, this first topic line. It's it's scary because you you hear um, all these stories about people literally dying while waiting for the ambulance or they get to the hospital and no one can see them or there's no nurses there. Yeah. The disruptions death page on the BC hospital data now has, I think seven deaths on it, which uh, is just from this year. So, Mm -hmm. and that doesn't include the people uh, that have had strokes and have been left waiting for hours and all the sorts of things that we've seen with the lack of paramedics, which will be worsened by this change we've seen in Kelowna, right? Oh, and that doesn't, I mean, I didn't even mention, you know, the Port Hardy Hospital now. It's been uh, months of, let me pull up actually BC Hospital data. Um, okay, so if we go to, let's just look up so Chimanus has been closed, had a whole bunch of closures now since August. Those ones started, and that's included, like, lots of closures. Uh, the Cormorant now, they started their closures at least back to the beginning of August as well, and they've just kept extending it now to November 15th. Um, Port Hardy, it's been having overnight closures now since uh, at least the beginning of October. Uh, so the hospitals have really, really taken a hit, particularly on Island Health. And um, an article that came out today, let me go find the article that went up today from some of the doctors that are out in the island area was asking for the province to consider combining um, the three hospital areas into one so that they don't continue to have these closures uh, across the three areas. So I've just, I just posted that up there. Um, so that's sort of the North Island area. My sister lives in, in that area, actually. And um, yeah, they've had the overnight closures of the emergency department for about two months now. Um, and it's just nonstop. I don't know how the people like that live there must feel so... Like, are they aware that they have, like, a major safety net gone? Like, that's... Mel, you're <laughs> asking about people's insight at a time that I've never understood uh, people's insight less, right? Like, I, I technically and psychologically and, like, textbook-wise understand cognitive dissonance. But, like, what we're experiencing right now is not something... It's just wild, right? And social media is such a big part of that. Mm-hmm. People don't, like that SNL skit, right? Oh, my goodness. I mean, <laughs> do you want to describe it? I didn't even watch the whole thing. I, oh, I, I saw it. Yeah, I saw it, and I, my jaw was just dropped to the Can floor. you like, tell me about the content? Because I refuse to watch okay. it. The content was that this mother was sick of 
of the daily demands on her by her family. So basically the gist of the skit was she thought it was a good idea to catch COVID so she could get a break from her family. And so they're saying that you want a break from your family, you should catch COVID because then you can have 10 days of paid leave. And people are like, where in the world do you get 10 days of paid leave if you're sick from COVID? Right? Like they're making it seem like it's nothing. They, they paired it back all the minimizer taglines like, oh, it's just a three-day cold. It's just a really bad cold. But what struck me as so just ridiculous about it is that, you know, the, the U.S. has had like over a million people die. Just 2,500 people die today from COVID. And they're still laughing about it and minimizing it. But yet, at the same time, the people on SNL themselves, they get PCR tested three times a week. The third leading <laughs> cause of death in the United States in 2021 and 2022. And the film industry is the only industry that still has all of the Swiss cheese layers of protection and they are the most protected. They are the Correct. most protected. The, the audience is required to mask. The only time, and everyone on on crew is is expected to mask, except for the people performing, and they right. get PCR tested, and then they have to isolate if they're positive until they're negative. And, and why is that, Mel? Why is the film industry the one that has all these protections? Because shut down, sh- shutting down production costs so much more money, and so right and, because they're the valuable humans, correct? They're the valuable humans. Yes. Mm, yes. So, you know, we protect our actors and, you know, our Hollywood people because they have more value than the regular schmoes like you and I, right? (laughs) Right. So despite the fact that we continue to say that our uh, frontline uh, workers and our healthcare workers and our teachers and our education assistants and all those people that have been dealing with this frontline since the beginning... Despite us telling them that they're essential, not giving them the leave that they need, and mandating them back to work across various settings now and telling them that they just need to deal with it. I mean, it's just, we're at the place we knew we were going to get to, which is frustrating. Um, But now, now let's enter in this dickhead, Alistair Monroe, with his immunity debt. Okay? Let's, uh... Let's talk about this man, because he is someone who put out an editorial about immunity debt, bringing this into the uh, vernacular of our uh, conversation about immunity. So that term did not exist last year, right? This fictitious immunity debt bullshit, right? Like, so (laughs) by this logic, you know, someone who washes their hands a lot should have a lot of debt they have to. So they're supposed to be getting sick because they're washing their hands a lot because, you know, their system is not exposed to a bunch of germs like that. No, no, it's complete double think. It depends on the way who explains it, because another explanation is that because these children were in such severe lockdown and they weren't exposed to the germs that they should have been, they didn't get all the sickness they should have. They're getting really severe sickness right now on average more. Not because everybody got COVID and their immune systems are driven into the ground just like the adults. Not because of that. Not <laughs> not that. It's not that. It's immunity debt. The thing that Monroe wrote in the editorial 
that he called the thing that never made any sense before now, has never been used before now. But apparently, because we wore masks for a while in indoor shared spaces, um, kids didn't get exposed to germs. It's complete double think, right? To say that you have to be infected to avoid infection. That makes no sense. It's completely illogical. Right. But it's the way that they can explain to themselves um, why what they did was okay. Um, Which is why I like this tweet by uh, Mr. T. Gregory there (laughs) about credibility debt. So credibility debt. That was brilliant. Yeah, that's the debt we should be talking about is the credibility debt that these people need to be paying uh, for the things that they have been talking about, because it just continues on. And this immunity debt is a new one. And I am pissed as fuck that Miss Catherine Smart put that out there. Right. That the individual that, you know, we have been trusting to put these things out there um, made a decision you know, as Dr. Smart, as having these followers um, to put Monroe's explanation out there and say that that was a thread for people to read, right? And last I saw, hadn't taken it down. I don't know if that's changed, Um, but, and was called out dramatically, but just shows you how fallible and how easily people fall into not wanting it to be the worst case scenario. And I get that, right? I mean, it's nice to have hope, but holy fuck, guys. We're three years into this, okay? Every time these people have said shit, it's been wrong. When are we going to get to the point that they stop gaining this much clout for what they're doing? They have no clout. They said, okay, let's repeat all the things. No, but they do. People are listening to them. I know. They said Omicron was mild. They said it doesn't affect children. Children can't get infected. They said that there is such a thing as an immunity debt. And they said that, you know, what else did they say? <laughs> oh, COVID's if, not airborne. They don't. If people don't. were understood, if people understood that they were wrong, we wouldn't be in this predicament. But we actively have these people with credentials behind their name that are constantly making this a giant mess for everybody else and constantly putting the vulnerable in a position that they have to defend themselves And now we're in a position where people are talking about banning masks again, right? Like, as we have the most aggregating waves of flu, RSV, COVID going on, and we just had mass infection from pulling those masks and those layers in March of of 2022, in most places, a lot of it disappeared in early of the year. We have not gone through a winter like this before. No, our hospitals are in worse shape than they've ever been. Um, because the damage is cumulative. It's cumulative, yeah. This is year three into into not learning, right? And pretending that the hospitals aren't full and pretending that there's not a massive absence of children who are ill or, or we have a shortness of te- like of teachers available, like in BC and Alberta and across Canada. Like there's a teacher shortage. It's all cumulative. and it's an everything shortage shortage and it's going to get worse right like I see the sickness hitting my workplaces again and and including my you know my husband and my son just got sick again and um, I'm not going to speak to my other family event that happened Um, I had a family member that had a stroke right three months after of after having COVID Um, 
And it just continues to sort of, we see these downstream effects, we see sort of the immune system outcomes that are here, um, and people are still actively ignoring it. So I think this winter is just going to be really ugly because we're also really under-vaccinated and we have the variants coming with more immune-evasive properties. And it's not making for uh, a friendly winter or a cozy Christmas for any of us. No, and I don't think there's been enough noise made by the workers at all. Of I think it's starting. Strikes I hope are so. starting, right? Like of, we're of starting to see experiment of purposely infecting everyone. <laughs> like, no, that's not. That's not like loud and clear that they deliberately let the kids get infected with with a virus that causes AIDS, but, like like autoimmune deficiency syndrome, like. But that's the purpose much. of all of their communications has been leading to that point, Mel, and we've talked about that, right, is the normalization of so much of what has happened across time um, has now led to Rika, oh God, what did she say? It was about masks, maybe. Masks should only be worn by, masks should not be worn. What was in that little table? The BCCDC thing said that masks should not be worn um, unless you're like an immune compromised person, like healthy people shouldn't wear masks. They explicitly said that now. So anti-mask is unbelievable. It's wow. Not our culture, right? That's mm-hmm. that's from our OG PHO nowhere to be seen, Dr. Henry. <laughs> right? Where is she? No idea. No idea. She's writing a book. She's writing a sequel, trequel, quadruple. I don't know. Rika is also the same person that said that school shouldn't close unless there was a large amount of children dropping dead in them, right? Oh, and they're standing by it, right? This is what I mean. Is like none of this is a surprise. They didn't hide any of this from the start. Um, It's just that no one really believed us, which was, you know, the problem. (laughs) Um, You know, I listened to that episode that I posted from New Year's of last year. And I'm just so sad, right? Like, it all could have been redirected and we just didn't do it again. And so many kids are going to pay the cost. We see, I've posted two deaths already, right? Of six-year-old, four-year-old with RSV or with COVID. Um, Every child's death matters, right? And they're... They're just going to excuse it with saying comorbidities or something else, and it's not okay. Um, They want to normalize it in that way. I don't know if they'll succeed. I want to say that they won't, but Mel, look around us, right? They've mass infected an entire generation of children with a virus that we don't know what the long-term effects are. I mean, it's a vascular virus. I mean, people need to talk about the fact that Children who have been mass infected, it would it could possibly affect their fertility later on. Erectile dysfunction is a vascular disease. Like, what if all the boys that were mass infected, they all develop erectile dysfunction? Like, what? The thing is, we could say a million what ifs, and that's the thing. We have no idea. So using some basic precautionary principle in terms of minimizing the outcomes to our kids and our families. And as we approach Remembrance Day, you know, like I'm, you know, furious. I'm, lit- I'm just like 
paralyzed by rage as we approach Remembrance Day, knowing the people that are going to celebrate and stand up and pat themselves on the back on Remembrance Day as they knowingly uh, and willingly sort of contribute to secondary down-the-line infections uh, for the elderly that we're seeing die in way higher amounts. Like It's horrifying how many of our elderly we've killed. Like, Again, third leading cause of death, let alone we don't know the the secondary impacts probably on the other leading causes of death that it's causing down the line, including cancers and and heart disease and stuff, right? Like, it's, we're in such denial, (laughs) societally. It is, because it's so horrific that we just don't want to accept the fact of what we've done. Yes, this virus is cancerous. It causes cancers. Yes, this virus can can completely mess up your immune system and cause something like AIDS, right? It's airborne AIDS, you know, and, and it's something we didn't bother to listen to the experts and we listened to the wrong experts for whatever reasons. Well, the thing is whether, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, as always, Mel, hedge my bets on... <laughs> on how we describe it based on sort of what's there right now. I think the literature is coming out strong that there's immune impairing factors of all of this. And we, we don't have, we haven't had longitudinal time to study it. So of course we don't have those long-term things now, but why would we take those chances? That's right. Right. Dr. Leonardi was right. Like we, we have seatbelts for a reason. We have the smoking laws for a reason. We have general, um, we have general rules about these things in society that we've said warrant, you know, primary, secondary and tertiary prevention efforts. And then we do so. And and we do that in all sorts of way, whether it's for heart disease, whether it's for strokes, you know, and the, the posters we used to put up with the, those signs, you know, with the face, arm, speech, all those sorts of things. Um, But with COVID, it's a sort of, the one piece that we took in public health where we sort of did this direct turnaround now of no longer having any sort of prevention. And we're seeing that with what's hitting the hospitals now. Um, Cindy, what's up? Hi, thanks for hosting Um, this. uh, I share the, I guess, feeling stunned at this whole immunity debt concept. You know, if, if we just even simply look to livestock, they do not experience immunity debt. Like, why would humans? That, that simple concept. People are not exposing their livestock to all the viruses they possibly can so they get immunity and don't experience immunity debt. Like, everything is done to prevent those livestock from experiencing viruses because it's a long-standing um, fact that when you have any viral infection, your immune system takes a hit for a period of time post-virus. With COVID, obviously, it's far, far worse, right? Because we are getting inverse CD4, CD8s. Like, it's just way worse than we thought. But with any virus, it, it makes us a little more susceptible to infections while we are healing and while those are rebuilding. And for real life examples, you know, look at the Amish and Hutterite communities. There's been studies done on their health as a whole. And as a whole, they have less cancer, asthma, all sorts of things like that. And better, uh, they live longer because there's fewer uh, viruses 
that they are experiencing in their community because they're just not as embedded into general society to take on all those viruses. Now, when something does get in there, they're a closed community. So if there's not excellent uh, air hygiene and fomite hygiene, it's going to spread through and everyone's probably, you know, going to get it. But compared to the rest of society, they experience very few viruses, you know, and it's um, already proven that when you protect children from just a cascade of viruses from everywhere, there's an increased expression of toll-like receptor genes and their downstream signaling molecules in in leukocytes. So I, I fail to understand this whole immunity debt and we need to expose all of our children to all of these viruses so so they have immunity well that's a farce right there because they can get the colds over and over they can get the viruses over and over there are very few diseases that you have sterilizing immunity to once you've had it once so this is just blows my mind that people who 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 want to be respected and keep their credentials um, are posting this crap. And the only logical reason I can think of is because if you can get $100,000 a month from subscribers from YouTube, from whatever social platform or backers, you know, versus 30, 20, whatever you were making before, you know, they're just sellouts, complete sellouts, because the science isn't there to back it. You know, full, well, and I think full. what we're sad about is how many of them are sellouts, Cindy. I know, right? It just disgusts me. Like, I can't even with these people. It's just like, how do they even still have a platform? And, and- I was a sickly child, like missed half of kindergarten, grade one and grade two. It did not help me. I continued to be sickly through my life. Right? I, I had like 11 bouts of strep when I was 26 years old during my master's and then had to have my tonsils removed. And since then, I've been pretty good. But it did not help me. No, and it generally does not. You certainly wouldn't want to introduce a, a you know, effective, productive livestock operation to it. You, you, why are we subjecting our human society to it? It's a complete farce. It does no one any good. You want a strong, healthy immune system so they can actively be getting precancerous cells and cleaning up everything else instead of fighting virus after virus after virus. Well, and I think this is why it's important to talk about it, is how quickly this went from being talked about on Twitter, uh, this imaginary concept, uh, and that then we do have Dr. Catherine Smart, who was the head of the Canadian Medical Association, I believe, uh, tweet retweeting it. How are we at that place? That absolutely triggered me. You know, like there's just not enough uh, people that understand how immunology works, your immune systems, how they work um, to refute it in an absolute manner, you know, because there's, it's, it's its own little sideline unless you set out specifically to take that and to learn about that um, and it, it's not generally taught at any length you get the basics and most forget about it because that's not what they're dealing with day to day or they're not in that area for research or for work right 
And yeah. sellouts don't care about competence. I forgot, Cindy. <laughs> right? Absolutely. You know, and it's a good excuse now for everybody who's been so wrong, exactly as you already said. You know, now they can try to jump on this train and it will continue. And it's just like, well, when can we get to the actual facts and actually save people? They're, like, I don't think they can come to terms with. Seriously, there's people. always a new thing. <laughs> Well, they've, they've, they're they're complicit in the deaths of these people, oh, you know, yes. that could have been saved if they had not been spewing garbage out, like just, just absolute shit. I can't even make sense of what they're trying to <laughs> convince people of. And so the, the things, the, the journals that actually publish these editorials, you know, they're complicit as well. Even though it's an editorial, you know, it still erases credibility from those journals that participate, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And and I refuse to support anybody who continues with this kind of misinformation. Like Medscape, I used to um, get a kick out of it in my uh, email every morning and just see how off the mark they were on a lot of things because they're pretty vague and... and uh, just not not correct on a lot of things but then when monica gandhi started they started publishing her crap oh i couldn't unsubscribe fast enough that was just not gonna happen you know but some of their stats and stuff were interesting but yeah it's, it was like no get me out of here i used to like the atlantic and then oster did her thing nope i unsubscribe get me out of here you know so it's just well and there's another perfect example right of you know that pandemic amnesty article which i think <laughs> many remain confused whether it's they they want forgiveness or i think they are forgiving us for their perceived thoughts about what we need forgiveness for like wearing masks so i'm not sure where that lands right now but yeah it the thoughts about it there it's just wild like it will it just spins into the next thing and and I'm not saying this in a professional opinion. I'm just using terminology that is familiar to me, but it makes me think of, of the work sort of I do around psychosis and delusions and that, you know, in our understanding in psychological theory, um, we don't really have a, a term for mass psychosis. Like that's not really a, a thing that we talk about in psychology because delusions are are a, of a single person, right? It's a single person's sort of break from reality. And in very, very rare cases, there's something called a folio do, which is about um, a shared delusion between like two or more people. Um, but when it comes down to like cultural things or religious things that are shared by large amounts of people, we don't consider that a delusion. But I'm telling you, I think it's time. I think it's time we need the term mass psychosis and it has something to do with what we're seeing. Because the speed and the rapidity with which the misinformation is spun into the next sort of theory, even with refutable facts, is, is something I, I did not think I would have to see and comprehend um, in my lifetime. It is crazy making. Like, really, I wonder how much of it is element of, of um, narcissism because the gaslighting that goes on with it for an entire population is astounding to watch. It's a, to me, I see it almost like a giant Milgram experiment 
right, fueled by misinformation fed from social media, because it's basically allows the worst of us to excuse our shitty behavior. It's so ableist, right? And you see all this ableism coming and, and the privilege and, and you see people allowing themselves to be complete health fascists. And, and it's fueled by the social media. Right. Did you see Zainab's post? Oh, my God, not her. She posted uh, something about it. It's not really a risk. Long COVID is not a problem for a normal, healthy person. That was a post that she put out. Yes, and that she was not aware. Like, she was some sort of expert. And I was like, what the hell? Aren't you just some sort of reporter that shouldn't even be there? Like, I don't know all her credentials. I just know she was a... But that's a person with, like, 500,000 followers. Oh, God. Yeah, that's not good. Right? And that's the thing, is the battle is fucking steep right now. It feels steep. It is. Like, how do we get this information out to the masses, out to the the people that want to hear it? You know, there's been a few stragglers here and there approach me privately on dms and go you know this information i'm hearing should i should i still be masking and i'm like oh pull up a fucking chair we're gonna chat you know welcome to welcome to the right side of science well and the problem i seem to have and i'm I'm sure you're having the same one cindy is i can tell them and then it's just like the blank stare and they continue on <laughs> and what do i do with that how many actually go and change and understand the, the the measures you have to take to try to dodge this virus? Like, they are extreme. And, and now we have questionable PCRs. We have people fully symptomatic, and it PCRs aren't picking it up. So I'm like, wow, what the hell am I going to do for Christmas? Because normally I'm happy with a virtual Christmas. You know, I'm not very close to my family of origin, so it really didn't matter to me. But now I have one child out of the home attending university, despite me begging and pleading with him to wait another year till things calm down more. Not sure what happened there. Yeah, it just kind of came down. But yeah. I'm trying to just figure out how do I get him home safely for Christmas without the proper quarantine period because we can't even trust these PCRs now. You know, so I'm just kind of disappointed about that because the science absolutely could have kept caught up with the PCRs and they didn't. And it again goes down to funding. If the government's deprioritize COVID, then the money is not there to do that, even when the science is there. And it's so frustrating, you know, just so frustrating. We could already probably have, uh, be closer to having effective intranasals uh, vaccines. But again, the money, you know, Professor Iwasaki is, is just going to phase one. And that should have been already done, already done. She was ready to go a long time ago, but she didn't have the funding. You know, just really frustrating. Well, and we know that in Canada, you know, Public Health Agencies Canada is cutting the the rapid tests as of 2023, right? Like the, the goal is to be fully blind to it. And I mean, 
we've seen more deaths than any other time in 2022. We are not getting better. And with what we're seeing with kids right now, like I'm very saddened and grief stricken about what we're going to look like uh, by the time Christmas hits in our country with our children's hospitals, with our healthcare staff. Um, Oh, absolutely. It's not gotten any better. It's only gotten worse. And now they're sending home garbage in Alberta. I don't know if they're doing it in BC, where they're saying there's been a respiratory outbreak in the school. Oh, Cindy. My son's school was one of the first schools hit when they went back in September. And they had like, uh, I think 40% of their kids out. And yeah, they called it a respiratory outbreak. And right now in Edmonton, we have like 12,000 kids out or something uh, post Halloween. It's, uh, yeah, we have huge amounts of staff because they're still tracking it in Edmonton, the sickness, but they just broke it out into COVID and other illness. So it's like, 1% is COVID. (laughs) The rest is uh, respiratory illness now. When I hear that, I think then it's coordinated from public health being fed down to whoever's acting in our supposedly chief doctor position. Oh, and I think it is. I think that the whole point of this year, um, from the point that they pulled masks in March 2022 in a concerted effort across the country in most places, it has been to dampen and withdraw and darken any sort of information about COVID so that um, they don't have to do anything. And we know, we know so many of the places are rejecting disability claims or doing those things. And we knew that they were going to do that when they stopped doing PCR testing. And now we're living it out, right? The outcomes are here. Horrifying. And we just watch in horror. As they also make the concerted effort to open up made and refuse to have a guaranteed basic income as they, yeah, they, as they withdraw every single social support that we're going to have out there for people and a recession hits. um, Yeah. It's, it's just not good. It's not good for anybody. And it's not going to be good for the people that are in denial now either. Right. Um, And it's unfortunate that they'll have to, uh, either lose something directly um, or get hit by this really, really deeply um, when something significant comes. Because sadly, I think that's the place we're at now where uh, it, we need a, sho- a societal shock to sort of shift the the cognitive dissonance that's developed. And and when I say shock, I mean, you know, a, a tragedy, you know, a variant that we are very unprepared for and shows us exactly what we did wrong. Um, and hits hard and hits fast and, you know, is going to hit all the people that are under vaccinated, including our kids. And I hope that doesn't happen. But with the amount of information we have given COVID globally um, and even nationally, we've just put something into action that we can't undo. Absolutely. And what concerns me is the recombinants now that we're seeing flu and RSV recombined in immune compromised hosts with kids that have had at least one COVID infection. You know, um, what could come from there is what I find deeply concerning. Well, in that we, <laughs> I know with that freaking the immune impairing properties and how good of a vector, right. That like compromised people are, we we've just set up like the worst possible 
um, breeding ground. And, th- and that's what I fear is that that will result in the sort of societal shock that we have. I just, I, I actually fear what that looks like in terms of for our population. Um, well, from an immunological words, immunological perspective, um, what I worry about is that when you're keeping the body that busy, constantly fighting all of these infections and residual infections that just keep hammering our kids, we're going to see uh, a really huge increase in cancer rates because they're just not going to be able to keep up to scavenge all of those little foreign bodies out of their and precancerous cells out of their out of their bodies you know, and in this microplastic world that we're also fighting, um, that also doesn't give rise to uh, a rosy, a rosy picture for the future. So that's what worries me, is that besides recombinance, is they're taking away their ability just to keep healthy in general, when you're forcing these kids uh, to just constantly fight, fight, fight. Yeah, I mean, my son, he had COVID in August, my little one, uh, who's six, and he has asthma, and he had some sort of sickness in the last week. He's negative on the rapid test, but as we know, God knows what that means. Um, Yeah, and just, like, I can hear how bad it is for him this time. And my husband, who's, you know, never been really sick in 10 years we've been together, right? Like, he also got COVID in August. Um, And then now he has, like, the most severe tonsillitis uh, he's ever had. And the doctor was like wowed by how giant his tonsil is. And the response was sort of like shrug, uh, you know, tonsillitis going around. And I'm like, he's 35 years old and they give him antibiotics without a culture. That's going around. Is it? Yeah. Tonsillitis of 35 year olds (laughs) is going around. Um, I can't even with that. Yeah. Just no culture to check viral or bacterial uh gave him antibiotics and and that's it and just like no sort of discussion about why he might be so severely ill like he had to take three days off work again wow (laughs) it's just but it's just a tonsil infection going around yeah yeah it's just nothing to have some tylenol it's fine (laughs) just so flippant right well, and, and it, it, it's sort of what we, we've talked about, Cindy, and what you've already alluded to, too, is it's hard when uh, it seems like it's everywhere, right? Like, it's, I don't have a GP that sort of understands this. I don't have coworkers that understand this. I don't have nurses around me that understand this. And uh, it's, yeah, I mean, it's hard when it feels like 99% of the people around you, um, it's not only that they, they uh, don't have this, this information, but it's, uh, actively feels increasingly like they don't want this information. Oh, absolutely. And even if we just look over at China and they're spraying and fogging everything, you know, uh, it's just they're they're aware of how thick it is, literally in the air everywhere. And they're, you know, they're going to be much farther ahead in a lot of respects. Um, there was a Chinese man that was going around Twitter, I think, think about a week ago he did a equivalent of a ted talk over there and was commenting on how paralyzed the western world's labor force is going to be in 10 years as a result of of covid 
and and doing nothing to mitigate it, just letting it rip in the way that we have. And I think he's right. Yeah, this we we don't do good at the uh, the long term thinking. What do you think, Mel? China plans for a hundred years. Our politicians only plan for as long as their political career allows them, right? They don't think that way. And that's the difference. I mean, in 2020, China had already revealed studies saying that, listen, it's airborne. It attacks your brain. It attacks your immune system. They already said that in 2020 and no one listened, right? That's a wild thing. It's like, with how much data we have now, and, you know, again, my family member is 60 years old, just had a stroke three months post-COVID. No discussion about that in terms of it as a risk factor. None. And to be honest, I think if we brought it up, even if I had papers, they'd look at me like I'm crazy. That's sort of where we're at. Isn't that wild? I mean, it's only just now that journalists are picking up on what Dr. Leonardi has been saying about how it damages our naive T cells and all the important cells that we need to fight off cancers and other nasty things. It's only now that they're picking up on it, but he's been sounding the alarm for well over two years. The problem is the journalists are just picking up on that as SNL is putting out a fucking commercial video like they just did. Right? Like how are we that far behind? Are you asking how our, as a collective, I think there's, because there's been concerted effort to, to spread misinformation for everyone. Are they that bad at long-term planning themselves that they can't see that this can't last? Is it get as much as you can as quickly as you can before it collapses? Or Or is it they just can't see it? Or maybe they're They're not witches. No, there's bad actors there (laughs) that are acting as fifth columns that are influencing what's being said, whether it's for their own personal gain or for some other nefarious objective. We don't know. But the the misinformation is being repeated wave after wave after we were like, I don't even know what wave we're at. Are we at wave nine, wave 11? I've lost count. Well, Omicron kind of like quadrupled into like 27 waves at once. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Omicron is mild. That's what was repeated over and over again in the mainstream media, right? And that's what let everyone let their guard down. This vaccine relaxed. Right. And then we did vax only. Yeah, it's all curated, it's created. Oh. We, it's just so hard to get ourselves out of this shithole. That's the problem, eh? uh, That's the problem. Um, which leads me to the current shithole of Twitter. And maybe that we'll talk about Mr. Helen Husk and the muskrats um, and all their shenanigans on Twitter. So since we last talked, unfortunately, uh, Helen, <laughs> Helen of Husk bought the Twitter. And things have been a little bit uh, hectic since then. I don't know if any other users have noticed sort of the impacts, but I've definitely, uh, at least in the last 48 hours, have been really slowed down on Twitter um, and sort of uh, can't reload. My feeds aren't refreshing, all that sort of stuff. Uh, So 
I suspect there were some back end issues, especially given that he uh, fired all those people. So um, we, I've made an account on Mastodon, which is an alternative social uh, website that can have a front end that sort of looks similar to Twitter, um, but it's a little bit different. And I'm not going to leave Twitter or I don't intend to leave Twitter uh, for the time being unless I get kicked off by Elon Musk, but <laughs> that probably won't happen unless I start uh, impersonating him and don't say it's parody. But Mastodon, uh, I joined zeros.ca server, which is moderated by Trendless, who's actually here in this chat tonight. Hello. Thank you so much, Trendless, for being lovely and setting that up. Um, that's, uh, yeah, I'm going to just sort of migrate over there. And what I'm going to be doing is cleaning all my data out of Twitter just because of the ownership switch. And uh, I will just keep tweeting on here, but we'll sort of migrate over there for most of my day-to-day -day fun stuff. So um, I don't intend to leave altogether here, but uh, given the sort of shit show that's going on, I think everyone should have an alternative. And I did want to find some way to connect with a lot of the people I've met here on Twitter because uh, if it goes down just by the fact that Elon Musk sort of runs it into the ground, I, I wanted a way to connect with people as well. And I hope that people uh, find a way to do that with each other, uh, even if Twitter sort of goes down. I'm trying to find my agenda. Hold on. talked about that um oh just witchy expectations mel i just don't think this is good and and this part of the chat um we're happy to sort of stay here for a while and if people want to come up here and chat you are uh welcome to uh request speaking and just come chat with us about anything that we've talked about tonight or anything different um, as of course, keep it respectful, keep it kind. Um, we are inclusive here and we expect people, uh, to be kind to each other. If not, I'll boot your ass. So, uh, yeah, ADC. Yeah. Thanks uh, for uh, giving me a platform. Um, everything you're saying is absolutely true. Um, my daughter right now is 10. Um, she's had a fever. It finally broke today, but um, it's been since Friday, and uh, we were at like 104 degrees last night. Oh. Um, it's uh, the, the thing that's really the like I, I'm just losing my mind is the lack of um, Pfizer product, like the push. Um, in the West has been everyone get your vaccine. Okay, fine. I've, I got my first vax. I got the second vax. I got the booster. Then I stopped because there was so much um, complications coming from whatever. And there were so many different variants. Um, but the fact is that Pfizer owns Advil and you can't find children's medicine anywhere in Canada. Um, so how the heck can you bring a kid's fever down? Like just if she has the flu, like she, we tested her and, uh, came up negative for, for COVID, but we're looking at, I'm looking at the, um, 
the news now that the new variant, it takes up to 10 days of testing negative before it'll come positive. But like I said, I'm sitting here, I go to the pharmacy and I mean, the pharmacists are, are doing whatever they can, but there's, there's nothing like we got to the point in society where like when, like I'm 46. So when I was growing up, we had children's aspirin. I understand that there's, there's been um, massive um, horrible after effects from, from taking aspirin. But if you look at our, um, the medicine or the, that, the pain relief that is available, it's all extra strength. Nothing can be cut into a um, part that can be given to a kid, even if you can grind it up or whatever. So we're sitting here, it's with ice packs and, and swapping between myself, my wife, and um, just trying to keep her fever down. I mean, tonight she mm-hmm. feels a little better, but I just like we we have some children's Advil sitting here like we've got one dose left so that we're just yeah. saving for for the emergency if something happens but I mean we're in Alberta so it's not like um if if anything happens I know like I'm in central Alberta so if we have to go to emergency yes the one here um closest to us is usually not too bad but if we have to go into red deer, it's a 17 hour wait. Yeah. Yeah. And the kids medication shortages is hitting so hard across Canada right now. And I've heard a lot of people in similar positions. When my son was sick with COVID in August, he had a 102 degree fever for like three days straight. Um, and it's just horrifying and there's not a lot that they're, they're, they're able to even do right now. And I agree, we're going to, we're, we are going to see more issues with the vaccines. And I want to say this with sort of the disclaimer that I'm pro-vax completely. I don't believe in a vax only strategy because we end up in this issue where, um, we're having so much sort of variation and immune evasive properties and our vaccines are getting behind, right? Because we are at that level of, of things sort of spreading so quickly and people not people can't get vaccinated in many places quick enough. And we see that in places like BC too, where they've like restricted vaccines for long periods of time um, or that we're slower in getting sort of the BA4-5 um, you know, booster approved uh, as quickly as we did the BA1. And so, and now people have to wait and all these rollover things. And we've just accumulated all of these problems that the vaccines can't solve. Absolutely. And, and it's like, I've, I still, I, I haven't stopped wearing a mask since the start of COVID. So we're Absolutely. going into the third year of, of wearing a mask. And, um, Anywhere I'm in public, like we were just at our best friend's wedding and it was myself and maybe three other people that were masked in the church for the service. And then um, when we went for the, uh, the reception, um, yeah, I was one of the only ones that was masked. So it wasn't like I was spending lots of like I was social distancing away from everyone and outside as much as I could. Um, and that was the first event that I've been to um, in th- two, three years. Like, this isn't 
like if it wasn't our best friend, we wouldn't have gone sort of thing. And our, and our daughter was the flower girl. And so it's like, what you want to be able to have these life moments, but what are we risking to, to do these things? And I just see, like, like I said, I, because the vaccines, especially with like the Danielle Smith, uh, who's going to become fucking premier, sorry, excuse my language, uh, premier um, after she steals the election um, by election this week. Um, and then she'll just get to put as many horrible things into play. I mean, I've I've been tagged and I'm I'm um, under surveillance by Elections Alberta for being a whistleblower on what Jason Kenney and Dina Henshaw did during the pandemic of all the changes they made to the Health Act while people aren't paying attention and people are just like, well, I don't want to hear that. That's negative. I'm going. But if you don't hear this information, like just ignoring it isn't going to make it go away. So if the vaccines are the thing that's causing us to be divisive, fine. I'll let, I'll, I'm pro, pro-vax on the fact that um, having it, I believe, is, is one of the main uh, ways to stop this. But it has to be included with the social distancing, the proper ventilation, and, of course, masking. So the fact that you have removed the mask mandates, that's absolutely asinine. And like you said, going back to the, the shortage on the, the medicine, I'm going, I'm anti-capitalist. So if you're a capitalist compensated corporation, this is absolutely stupid business to do this. You're losing billions of dollars in revenue by not having it available i I just i don't what is the end game other than killing everyone that that's the only only solution i've got like we're in late stage capitalism and like like you were saying earlier that it's just like these politicians are just trying to hoard everything they can and keep as much power as possible but the the whole thing about capitalism it needs to have people to exploit to continue. And if you kill everyone you're exploiting, your whole system is going to collapse. Yeah, that's the fun stage we're in now, hey? And I just, and what frustrates me on, on, on the Twitter side is there's people, they're good people, that, like they're people that have been pro-mask and whatever, and they'll post the dumbest thing, like, someone posting I'm going to cancel my Disney so I can afford my mortgage because uh, Christia Freeland had some white privilege pompous ass comment about how to stop the recession. I'm going, okay, fine. We can call Freeland out and call out the government for being clueless in the fact that at at the um, class stage that they're at, they don't understand what the working class is going through. So yes, absolutely call them out, but don't make some stupid comment that you know is going to get, like it's going to go viral. Like everyone just wants to go viral. I'm going, the only thing that's going viral now is death. Like COVID's going viral. 
And you can be popular on social media for a time. I mean, Musk is a prime example. The moron had all these people all excited that he was going to make it free speech. I'm going, do you guys not understand that this guy has never done anything good in his life? Everything that he's accomplished has been based on um, inherited wealth. Like from the exploitation of the mines in Africa where his parents got the wealth to his mom being connected to being government funded for everything from Tesla to SpaceX. And people are like, oh, he's going to do that. I'm like, he's not going to do anything. If the only thing he's going to bring Donald Trump back to Twitter, like what is that going to accomplish? I'll say that people are a lot of aggressive young men on Twitter. Those are the people. <laughs> They, well, really, they really love Elon. They really and, love him. And, and that's the whole thing. It's being a white a person of white privilege myself, 46 straight, um, heterosexual, married male. Um, I, if I could denounce my <laughs> Caucasian, I would in a heartbeat because it's an embarrassment to society. Like, I don't understand how if you have, like, Yes, I have the white privilege, but I mean, based on a lifetime of trauma, that it, there, there's there's a balance or an imbalance there. But I still like I'm never judged based on my pigmentation or based on my religion or anything like that because it's intersectional. Absolutely, and so I I just don't get how people that become of of privilege or that support the white the white privilege patriarchy think that they're succeeding that it's successful i'm going you're only going to get to a certain level like elon musk is never going to let you get to his level he will stomp you out in a heartbeat if there's any sort of aspect of competition that's why he hates bill gates because he can't reach the bill gates level and don't don't get me wrong bill gates is not a saint himself i mean the, how much uh, farmland the man has purchased under the guise of oh we're we're doing this to protect the environment I'm going no so all these people from the gates to the uh, uh, to Musk to Bezos to all these billionaires they're awful like it doesn't matter how much charitable work they do they're awful human beings like we have to stop looking for the heroes and actually look at logic in regards of how we get through this. And going back to the point here is the fact that people have to educate themselves. Like the saddest part is, is we've all been given a whitewashed version of history. And until we actually look at what the true history is of the being colonizers and, and being settlers on stolen land, and looking at that aspect of um, reparations and land back, we're, we're just going to burn as the environment burns. Well, and I think as we've unfortunately seen, that's the people that are ready to sort of uh, acknowledge that history and the present in terms of what we are still colonizing. Um, it's a small minority of us and we are watching uh, the large portion of that privileged uh, 
portion make those decisions to not take that acknowledgement and not sort of uh, make those changes. And these are the outcomes. And I wish that in a fair world, which, you know, and we have that just world bias that we think that just outcomes happen, it's not. And we're going to see harm come to not only those who have reaped these outcomes, but those who have tried to stop it. And that's what's such a griefful period of time for me right now and as we move into the winter is knowing um, all of the people that are going to pay the prices of this and and of course always those that have been the most ignored and already the most harmed and because we're the minority we we work so hard to stop it but there's portions of it that we will be unable to and I'm mentally sort of preparing for that yeah, I, unfortunately, I believe I am too. Um, in regards of the, I understand you having to leave for, for Twitter. I tried um, going to Macedon and different things. I just, there, there's way too many hoops to jump into. Um, my somewhat solution, I guess. So I do a, um, I do a, a live stream uh, every Tuesday called Talking Truth with ABC. And um, so I stream on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Rumble, uh, Odyssey, like I think of like nine different platforms because the first show I did was on YouTube. I'm going back to YouTube this week, but the first show I did when I was talking about capitalism and charity, uh, it got shut down in, right in the middle of the stream. So I know that these people are totally trying to like Musk is already doing it. I mean, this whole thing with this $8 for the blue check mark, that's got nothing to do with trying to give people any sort of... Um, it does have to do with giving some person this celebrity aspect. Oh, if I've got the check mark, I'm verified and I'm popular and I'm famous. Um, but it's more along the lines of being able to go back and take away the verification of certified medical um, and journalists that have integrity and that's the scariest part when we've seen them blocking already the bnn news sites and stuff right and i mean i'm in the independent media sector and it's it's better because we're speaking the truth and and the majority of the people that, that i'm connected to are trying to do this journalistic integrity but then there's still people inside there that's like infiltration like it's like Everywhere you go, there's someone trying to infiltrate and, and take over. So that's, that's the biggest struggle. Like, I ultimately believe that we need to become a socialist society. Um, what that entails, I don't know. Um, I know a lot of the experts that were talking about it is we, we actually have to start building um, a system, a secondary system that is providing everything that we have through capitalism right now. So you have that parallel system that we can all shift to once capitalism collapses. Um, the only thing that I really struggle with is the fact that the leadership, how the heck, like it, it, it has to be the only solution I can think of is it has to be a cooperative um, way of, of managing or as leading or whatever, um, where everyone has a voice, everyone is a member, everyone gets a vote. 
not this proportional representation crap that we have for a political system that it's if I've got lots of money, I can basically win or I can like what you guys unfortunately had with Angeli being railroaded out by David Eby. Um, it, it's all about white privilege and power. And as long as capitalism, as long as you have someone that's driven by the capitalist system, that's all we're going to have. And, and, and that's, that's where we're at. So it's like, how do we do things differently? And um, one of the big things is a shift towards unconditional mutual aid. Um, well, I was going to say, I think the models are there in terms of community care and, and um, those communities that have been ignored have had to sort of create those systems of mutual aid and of community care that allows it and trying to like upgrow those systems and figure it out, I think is probably our best bet. Yeah, absolutely. The, the big thing is, is like, if you look at what happened with like the Amazon union, um, making sure that whoever is the one who's gaining that power that doesn't isn't corruptible and that's that's the biggest hurdle we face yeah good leaders are hard to find every one of them is corruptible so when i tell people like i i um, actually created the mutual aid manifesto for alberta and the idea was to be a um way to um uh, I would say infiltrate, but I mean, I guess that's not what we want to do, but to uh, uh, have input into the electoral system here in Alberta. Um, unfortunately, the corrupt um, government and elections in Alberta, who they, they play that they're an independent um, organization. They're not. They're directly connected to the acting UCT government. Um, they changed the laws. Um, so when you're looking at doing something. So the idea was to have a mutual aid captain in every one of the electoral districts. And so well before the election has been called, we're doing mutual aid events from pancake breakfast to all the, all the different things, basically looking at what the Black Panthers platform of community growth and community support and then once the election is called, you flip either your captain or your co-captain into an independent politician and run for that seat against the NDP, the UCP, or whoever is, is in that seat. Unfortunately, they've changed the, the bylaws. I mean, I'm, I actually registered to be a political third-party advertiser because they... they um, targeted me and uh, put me under investigation for um, providing dark money to the NDP. Well, I'm the biggest non-NDP supporter out there, um, but I'm not like, I'm, I'm, but because I was anti-Kenny and anti-UCP, they just use that as their justification. So after they find out that they can't nail me for anything, I'm under this, guideline that I can't really do anything during an election. So I actually launched um, and bought the domains, not my premier, uh, to take on Daniel Smith and take on 
David Eby and take on Doug Ford and Scott Moe, you, you name it. But I, the focus was to make sure that Daniel Smith realizes that she's not the premier. Um, she's stolen this and people aren't going to stand here and watch this. Well, once it started going viral, I got a letter. So the tweet went viral at um, in the afternoon and it was 5.38 that afternoon that I got a letter from Lexus Alberta saying, oh, the by-election has been called. You can no longer um, do anything uh, that is based on the election. And so until the by-election is over, I can't promote any merchandise or promote anything against Danielle Smith. Um, then once the by-election is over, I can only... So this is what they've already set up. So from... November 11th until December 31st is the timeline. As of January 1st, the Alberta election has been called. Even though it's not going to happen until May, I can't do anything from January 1st until the election is over. Yeah. I came from BC to Alberta last year. <laughs> and I feel like... I picked a strange time the, to come. The wrong wrong horse, I know. And I came back to Alberta. That was the saddest part. So I'm originally from Saskatchewan. This Danielle Smith banning masks in schools and uh, yeah. <sighs> yeah. And then like I said, I'm I, I I'm, we're actually on Tuesday's show. We I have a couple of um, former NDP um, of of members um, that were in their their uh, district members um, that are going to talk about why we're not why we not, might not be better off with Rachel in regards to because uh, I mean I don't know what the solution is but I know here in in central Alberta the same promises were made by the NDP about Ooh, the health care system coming and from they, BC I can tell you that. <laughs> voting for the NDP does not solve your problems either. No, and no. John and, Horgan and... has caused us all sorts of uh, pain. Uh, and really, I to be honest, the the implementation and the allowance of of Dr. Bonnie Henry to do what she's done within BC has reverberating effects across this country in terms of what's been allowed for uh, children and vaccines and all sorts of stuff. Uh, Dina Hinshaw was the same thing here. I mean, she's still the acting chief medical officer of health. She got a quarter of a million dollar uh, bonus um, after I think it was what the four thousandth death. Not, I mean, just the timing was was when they announced like the four thousandth death in the province. Oh, yeah. She ended up getting a quarter million dollars, and then people were calling her out on that and whatever. And now she hasn't done anything and said anything since just after her getting that bonus. The interesting part, uh, having been sort of closely watching both provinces the entire pandemic, is that Alberta has been louder in response. So, like, Dina Hinshaw actually got called out. Um, Bonnie Henry did not, and just got, like, an honorary degree and was sort of celebrated even among the population throughout most of the pandemic, and I would say probably even now, horrifyingly, uh, with the research that dropped with her essentially experimenting on us, and then now 
knowing that children were getting mass infected in schools and not telling us. Yeah. Well, and I think with Bonnie Henry, not to give any credit to anyone, but um, she branded herself very well with the Lions and the Canucks. Um, So being that, 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 that Canucks being the major brand in BC, yeah, gave her a little bit of a pass. I mean, it does not help at all that all our mainstream media are conservative. It doesn't matter which channel you turn on from CBC, CTV to global, it's all conservative driven. And what people are going, well, no, it's just anti-liberal. I'm like, no, no, it's conservative driven. And oh, for even, sure. Even if it's pro-NDP, it's pro-conservative NDP. It's not the CCF. Well, and, here, and, and the BC media, all of it, right? Like Sonia Firstno from BC Greens is getting called a bully for yeah. asking basic health questions in in to John Horgan and to Dix and all of them, right? Is And getting called that by multiple media outlets and sort of being dragged up and down for, you know, being uh, too loud for asking these questions or being too fringe. Yeah, and I don't, I mean, that whole thing of, how Horgan got the, I mean, it was part of that coalition with the Greens. And then once the Greens were weakened by Elizabeth May from getting her fingers in the pie on both sides, uh, yeah, that left that opening for Horgan to get the majority. And once he had the majority, it's the same thing as the BC Liberals when Gordo and uh, Christy Clark um, did their damage. Everything was was pushed through. I mean, that's what Alberta's had. I mean, if we looked at just over the pandemic, I think I counted there was 83 bills that were became law in the, um, the last legislation or the, like the, the, the last um, session of the legislature before Kenny um, lost the leadership. Um, and Historically, even under every other PC government, the most they saw in a like for bills being pushed through during a session was I think it was about 40. So you're looking at double the amount with no discussion, with no debate. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I questioned everything. Like, I, I called it out on TikTok, I said, like. And he added uh, fees for FOIs. <laughs> yeah, I, I, and they uh, become tyrannical over their FOIs. It's next to impossible to get any information from BC anymore. Well, and it's and I don't know if BC has the same thing, but I know when Kenny was in power, they had, I believe, it was fifteen million dollars in lawyer retention, in retainers, and most of their lawyers are in BC now. Like there's one that's um, like, oh, I mean, there's such a cesspool that is, that has come down. But that's the thing is it, none of these ministers, most of them aren't sharp enough to like write a page of anything. It's lawyers that are making these laws. So you get these things and they're 15 pages minimum of lawyer speak. So you have to deep dive into these things to find the hidden gems. Like for the um, Bill 81, which really got a lot of heat based on um, 
before the leadership for the UCP that the fact that they left it open that anyone could um, be have a membership purchased under their name in Alberta. Um, under Bill 81, that wasn't, that wasn't illegal anymore. And they lifted the corporate um, contributions, but all the um, personal contributions and all that other stuff have been limited. And then the biggest one is the fact that all the wording of through the for the Elections Act is all Americanized. So they've gone from what the Canadian terminology was to all the American terminology. So it's not, we don't have polling stations, we have ballot boxes. Yeah, I'm... I don't want to be a Canadian exceptionalist <laughs> and think that we can get out of this no, without and, a big clusterfuck. So. Well, the, the, oh. the biggest thing, I, and I don't know when they did the Charter of Rights and when when we when we had the monarch, like the parliamentary system created, if. I mean, I know the Bill of Rights in the States, like they weren't thinking about millions of people. They were thinking about hundreds, maybe thousands of people. They were they were never thinking about the mass amount of citizens that, that this would have to govern. So my whole thing is, is how the heck can, okay, you have your elected official, fine, whatever. Uh, I don't agree with who got elected. That's neither here nor there. But how can you have a representative of the royal family so I have the king now, not the queen, um, as lieutenant governor. And then the governor general is the only one who regulates these people who give a green light stamp to any proposed bill. And that's the only safety measure we have in Canada is the lieutenant governor has to hold back the royal assent. <laughs> as soon as it has royal assent, it becomes a law. It sounds silly when you say it out loud, doesn't it? I know. It, it sounds ridiculous. I called out... Um, the past uh, lieutenant governor in Alberta, because she's a she was a crook, <laughs> and while she was lieutenant governor, she was running a PR agency. Um, she she wasn't in the day to day operations; she could hide that, but she was still listed on the website as like the director of the board. Mm. And if you looked at all their clients it was all the ones that were getting compensated through the bills that were being put through by the UCP. <laughs> so I'm like, how? And everyone's like, well, you're just, you're, you're a conspiracy theorist. I'm like, okay, Aww. this is beyond conspiracy theory. I'm going, how did we go and see the, if, if anyone has seen the, um, the show Veep with Julia Louis-Dreyfus, that is our political system. People mm -hmm. don't understand that, yes, it was satire, but was real. That and House of Cards, there's so much realism in these things. Well, people that... have that honesty bias, right? Like, people want to believe the best in situations and, unfortunately, psychologically, when they have that belief, they're willing to push aside the actual evidence in hopes of that sort of good outcome and that's made us this point of denialism where I think we're in for a very rough winter um, that might knock a lot of people off their socks. Yeah. 100%. Unfortunately. Um, 
Uh, and anybody else is welcome to request speaking if you want to. Yeah, um, interrupt me anytime. I've got ADHD, so when <laughs> I go on to a tangent, it's uh, yeah, <laughs> lots lots of things to say. But yeah, I, I'm just I hope... I'm, a, I'm laughing because uh, my husband has ADHD, and my two stepsons have ADHD, and my yeah. littlest son has ADHD. I so... feel for you because my <laughs> wife is the only one in our household who doesn't. So I have yep. it. My daughter has it. Her oldest has it, and she's like, oh, "I'm following I love you the stream. All. I got it." <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's it's one of those things. I mean, it's a blessing and a burden because absolutely I would not have the creativity or the mm-hmm. drive in a lot of things. But, oh, man, is it a struggle to – well, I have ADHD and oppositional defiance disorder. Mm. So, yeah, um, so as you can tell by my taking on authority, um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's actually a um, – medical reason why I do that. I mean, mm-hmm. also the fact that I, I don't like uh, people that are corrupt and, and those sort of things. But your point is, is about the, the honesty. And I honestly believe if we had, it, it's so sad when we're looking at someone like um, Brian Mulroney as mm. a good politician. <laughs> if we had someone like Mulroney, we wouldn't, be as disaster as we are now that's the thing is there's no the sort of leadership has just been vacuous right like it's just empty we don't have leaders that have values um no we have leaders that sort of speak empty promises and sort of like skirt around the values and make us feel good about what they say. And, you know, John Horgan, you know, spouted what the NDP should say about labor and about workers. And well, in reality, he was having the RCMP beat the, uh, you know, indigenous protesters. Well, yeah, absolutely. While he was having these things, uh, FOIs be ripped from our hands while he's been actively sort of misleading public health. Um, they're, they don't have the values. We don't. We have valueless leaders, <laughs> and that's the hardest part. And They're for sale to have, the highest bidder. Yeah, and if you have someone like in Angeli or um, in the United oh. States, uh, um, uh, uh, Shama uh, Sawant, mm-hmm. um, they are vilified, <laughs> right? Because, well, you see what happened there. <laughs> well, I did, and I'm just sitting there going. As soon as she said she was going to run, I'm like, oh god it's it's not going to, they're going to screw her. And people, oh, no. I'm like, no, you don't understand. This is, she's not going to get a sniff. They're going to figure something out and she's going to get railroaded because she is different and she would rock the system. Well, right. I mean, it's she the same reason why Dimitri um, uh, Lacassus, um, who was up for, leader of the Green Party was blackballed and wasn't very similar to Angeli, who wasn't allowed to be in the meeting for when they decided that he couldn't be in the running anymore because he spoke up and he said, no, we can't have, like, this system doesn't work for everyone. We need to find a system that works for everyone. Right, and well, that's the ironic part, right, is that, they're it, they're literally getting rid of the idea of it should be to help the people because <laughs> the only yeah. people that are for helping the people are getting kiboshed, which is we've just inverted the system so dramatically that like the expectation the bar is so low. 
And then with the low bar, and this is this is controversial, and people be like, "Oh my God, what do you?" The allowance of like a January sixth or here the Freedom mm. Convoy, mm-hmm. all that does is increase police funds, yeah, increases oh, absolutely. power, and a um, excuse to increase police brutality and a militarized state. Right, and, and we're going to see all those magical surpluses that came up from all that funding. Yeah. Uh, right. That's gonna suddenly get to refund all these places, to refund police and do all those things, despite the fact that uh, healthcare is falling apart before our eyes. Yeah, and and healthcare falling apart is on purpose. I mean, this is what the saddest part of reality that people have to understand is they're trying to starve the beast because mm-hmm. ultimately everyone that's in power right now in this country wants to privatize healthcare. Yeah. Well, because the people that knowingly and research has shown will pay the cost of privatization because there will always be a cost. um, That is an allowable line in their spreadsheet. Well, and we already have like, and the other thing a lot of people don't realize we already have a two tiered system. Like (laughs) if you're a member of the Vancouver Canucks, um, when, when H1N1 was rampant, they jumped the queue for their, for their vaccinations. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And if a member of the, and like any, basically any professional athlete or major celebrity or whatever, if you get hurt, there's the, um, Glenn, uh, say they're, Sports, whatever. There's the Vancouver, the one that connects you. There's all these sports um, medicine facilities, and they're basically a medical facility that every community should have. That has mm-hmm. mental health, has physio, has your your surgery surgeons, everyone on call. So if you have enough money, you can go wherever. Like especially in here in Canada. You could go anywhere in the in the country to get a procedure done. Oh yeah, we had one. I'm here in Edmonton, so that's where I came to do my residency, and then I live here now. Um, in the rehab hospital I worked in for six months of my residency, we had the ward that was from the hockey team, and you should see the fancy things that are in there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And well, I'm I'm in Lacombe, and we don't even have a um, ultrasound. Yeah. Um, I, I think there is a machine, but it's only um, on Tuesdays or something they can use mm-hmm. it. So if not, you have to go into the private clinic. And, and I mean, you, thankfully, if you have a if you're one of the lottery winners of having a family doctor, you can get the referral, and then you're not paying for it. But yeah. it's still like the the system isn't there. I mean, when we were talking about like people say about the, the the healthcare system i'll say damn well my family doctor saved my life twice and i owe everything to her and thankfully she understands covid thankfully like we've got one of the good ones but with bc offering x amount of dollars for signing bonus basically to come if she keeps getting pummeled through the cuts and the more increase to the TELUS health, 
mm-hmm. we're going to lose her too. I yeah. mean, there's, there's so many doctors that are leaving this province. I mean, I, if I had the opportunity, I wouldn't be here myself. Well, and telehealth is going to be the Western front soon, right? Like they've yeah. just been, since the pandemic hit, they were the highest grossing company in British Columbia was TELUS. And there's a reason for that. Um, and they have grown significantly and they're growing into mental health right now in ways and in, in, you know, oh, I can, in, in I the can... channels that we've already seen really bad things pop up with in a variety of the other sort of pop up mental health things. Um, I can yeah. confirm that. Um, I, just, just to give uh, people uh, a heads up, um, I'm on two boards for AHS. I'm on the David Thompson Health uh, Region and the uh, Mental Health and Addiction. So I was at um, our annual meeting. I, I went virtual because there's no way in hell I'm going to be sitting in the room with people that even medical professionals that don't want a mask. Surgical um, masks but, all around. Yeah. I So I was on the big screen. So everyone's like, oh, this is weird that you're on the screen. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm I'm safe at home with my family. And uh, yeah, um, I don't know when I'll be in person. But uh, point being is, yeah, it was brought up. And I uh, voiced my displeasure on a lot of things that were brought up. And uh, it's a two-year term. I, I, I said straight up, I'll probably be... Um, asked to leave after one because I yeah I, I don't like how it's going and this is even prior to, to Smith and her idea of dismantling AHS so yeah I, I already know I've got the, the I picked um, a great time documents. to join AHS <laughs> yes so I, I, I did it so I would know I mean it, it that was my main purpose, but the other purpose was so I could advocate, of course. Um, and um, having our oldest uh, being a member of the 2S LGBT community and um, going through um, bipolar and uh, suicidal, um, seeing the, the mental health system for the youth in this province is just awful. Um, I mean, we've got the... Uh, the Center Alberta Children's Advocacy Advocacy Center, which is fine, but I don't know what age is that it limits out. Um, so for our for our youngest, it's okay, but I don't know for how many well. years. We are doing well. I mean, we have like I've been I work uh, in the young adult portfolio within Edmonton. Okay. And uh, so I'm in a lot of contact with some of the distress lines, like Access 24-7, Access Open Minds, some of the more uh, walk-in sort of mental health services. And uh, it's hard for me to understand because if someone's under 18 and they call Access 24-7, they reroute them to children, family, youth. uh, But they're only open 1130 to 8. So the only option for people under 18 is to go to the ER. Yeah. Which is just a disaster. Outrageous. Outrageous. Yeah, and and there's so many families in such distress. It's it's just so sad. Like I well, our oldest wouldn't be alive if we didn't have the supports that we had, but we had um we had uh, um AHS's mental health um they, they didn't get along with them, but um they were here on call, so the the um, emergency person went 
and sat with them in the uh, emergency in, in Lacombe. And then we were able to get them into uh, onto um, unit uh, seven and I think it's seven in Red Deer. In Red Deer. Um, all I know is there's only seven beds. And it's a, it's a, a floor in the Red Deer Hospital. And thankfully, our, the, um, through the mental health, we were able to connect to a child psychiatrist. And he's there who deals with um, the emergency pace, patients under 18 at Red Deer Regional. So... Thankfully for that doctor, he saved our kid's life in regards of being able to um, get get them the supports they need in into the into the unit. Um, they've now since moved to BC um, to uh, be with their their mother. Um, disastrous, but um, the positive there is they they've ended up um, qualifying for. Um, short-term um, uh, care in the home, so they're they're living in a group home right now with with the mental health supports and trying to uh, get them to be able to um, be um, more functioning in society. I'm glad to hear they have some supports, um, and I'm glad that you came on to chat tonight. I'm going to start to wind. To- yeah absolutely i gotta go to work tomorrow yeah Um, thanks for the time and uh yeah yeah, um uh, feel free to message or whatever and uh um yeah i can uh, share whatever information that isn't uh um confidential that uh that i've sent from uh, ahs sounds good i'll touch base with you after uh, we sort of wrap this up okay sounds good okay have a good night you too And everybody else, uh, I will say thank you for coming tonight. And uh, we'll look at doing this again. And uh, again, I'm over on Mastodon now as well. I'm not planning to leave Twitter. I'm just going to be cleaning up my account a little bit. Um, And then I'm going to go off. I will uh, make my normal account as well off private as well. I'm just waiting because I had an article release happen and uh, accidentally uh, may have doxed myself. And I'm figuring that out. So uh, once that's sorted out, my account will be off private um, and we will clean up this a little bit and then uh, post it on the podcast as well. And ABC, since we talked a whole bunch, if there's anything that you want me to take out of this, uh, we can talk about that as well when I message you. Uh, So have a good night. Thank you.